That was the book of 1 Thessalonians. Was there a few references to holiness in that book? And were they wrapped around the wrath of God, salvation loss kind of scriptures? Things that say, if you keep on doing this, I warn you. Does it say those sorts of things? Is that just one book out of how many in the Bible? Well, it's actually every book in the Bible speaks of it in the New Testament. Every book. I've gone through every book previous to that. I've gone through Colossians, Philippians, Ephesians, Galatians, 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, Romans. Um, I haven't done the book of Acts yet, but I have, I've already got all the scriptures that relate to it. We've also gone from 1 Peter to 2 Peter to 1 to 3 John and Jude as well. And they all have just jam-packed full of scriptures that relate to this doctrine. So I'm not teaching a doctrine foreign to true Christianity. I'm teaching a doctrine foreign to modern Christianity. Nice to see you all. And uh, who's ready to hear the Word of God? Who needs to hear the Word of God right now? Who feels that when you go a few days or a number of days and you're not hearing a lot of distractions this morning, not hearing the word of God, and you might not have prayed as you should, you might not have read the Bible as you should, and and who feels that you can slip? If you don't, then that you've got to question your Christianity of what are you relying on, the spirit or are you relying on self? Because you know you can get very comfortable living according to the world, living in world mode. Do you know what I'm saying? Who, who gets that? Yes. Who knows what that what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Um, I, f- I feel God's talking to me about some really serious stuff for this church at the moment. And he's talking to me about people that suffer from depression. That there be no one suffering from depression in the body of Christ. Because if you truly have the Holy Spirit, you will not have depression. Just like if you truly have the Holy Spirit, you won't enter into sin. So... These are signs and signals to us that if you're falling into these different things, that you need to do some major overhauling on your Christianity. If you're slipping into things that you know Jesus does not uh, approve of, then you you can tell straight away. You should be able to judge yourself. Amen? That you've got to do something. You've got to clean up your act spiritually. And when I say clean up your act, you say that to a person with depression. And they've got to go, what do you mean? The world tells me I need this drug. The world tells me that I'm suffering from these psychological problems. The world's telling me this, 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 and this. But what is Jesus Christ telling you? Be healed in the name of, in, in the name of Jesus Christ. But he's also saying, look to me. Get your strength from me. Die to self. Amen. Does he say die to self? Yes. He says die to self. Why does he say die to self? Because if you're self-obsessed, you're going to be depressed. Who knows... If you are self-obsessed and you need uh, like all these words of encouragement all the time to keep you up there, then you can very easily slip. Because when it doesn't come, when those things don't take place in your life, when people aren't um, uh, giving you those necessary words of encouragement to keep you afloat, you sink really quick. It's like, what it's like is you're, like you're in a boat with a hole in it and you need to keep pouring the water out. But as soon as you hand your life over to Jesus Christ, you get out of that sinking boat and you get into his ark. Amen. And there's no depression. There is no sea of the sea of sinfulness that's creeping in when you're in the ark of God. Does these analogies help you to, to see what I'm talking about? They're coming straight from heaven because I've never actually thought of that analogy until that very moment. 
So that's, that God wants it to be said to you right now. Get out of the sinking boat that you're in. That's sinking in the sea of sin. And the sea of sin is all around us. All around us. Is that true? Yes. Get on the road and put on a worldly radio station. What do you hear? Sin. Sin. <coughs> Piling in. Pouring in. You listen to the, the music of the world. Sin coming in this way. We're letting it in through our earways. You know, we get home, we turn on the TV, we start uh, looking on the internet. What do we get? Sin, a sea of sin just piling in through our eyes. You know, it's hard to escape. So what have we got to do? We've got to turn away. We've got to start to go into that private place, into that secret place with God. And we've got to start finding our refuge in Him. Amen. And we've got to start letting Him deal with the stuff in our life that is causing us not to be effective as Christians. Yes, that's right. Amen. That's where we've got to go. God's calling His people to pray. God's calling His people to come to me. Draw close. We're singing this morning, draw me close to you. Well, that's what He's saying. Draw close. I'll draw you close, but you've got to step up. You've got to step in to the secret place. You've got to step in to where I am. You've got to come into my presence. Sure, God will go out and he'll fetch you and bring you in, but you've got to go back in there willingly. You know, he won't keep going out day after day after day if you just refuse to go in. And he won't keep going, you know, Rob, where are you today? Rob, you've gone off again, you've gone astray again, you've gone off into the paddocks. Come in here. Come in here with me. Be with me in the most holy place. Amen. Do we... In the name of Jesus Christ, do we have access into the most holy place? How many of us go there? Next question. How many of us go there? We have access in. The, the, the Word of God tells us that we have access by the blood of Jesus Christ. Do you know we have access into a place that the priest, the high priest, could only access once a year? Once a year in biblical Israel. Once a year. They would have to wait a whole year. Just to go into the most holy place. That room, you can imagine the dust in there. A whole year, no one's gone in there. That's probably what he does. He goes in to clean it. I'm pretty sure that's what they probably went to do. Better clean it. The once a year clean. And what's that telling us? We've got to go in there to get clean. We've got to go in there and get cleaned. Amen? The holy place. The most holy place. Now, when you enter into the most holy place, the, the high priest used to go through a, a whole range of things and ceremonies and ceremonial washings and a whole range of things. He had to put on these certain clothing. He had to be clean as he could possibly be in himself because there, there was a concern because people who had entered there you know, unlawfully would get struck dead. And so they would put these, they reckon they had tradition tells us they had rings on the heels and these rings were tied to ropes and someone would stand outside with a rope and they would let him in to the most holy place. This is true, guys. This is what used to happen. And he would go in there, and you could imagine he would have bowed at the door, and he'd come in, and he would have been in a humble place, because he's going into, into the presence of the most holy God. Amen. He's going in. He's got rings on his shoes. He's about, And if he gets struck dead, because he very well could get struck dead, if he's not in the right, hasn't got the right heart and the right mind. Now, we can go in there. Now, consider the preparation that the high priest and the honour and the um, the uh, the level of reverence that that priest would have to show just to enter in, and that's what God's asking us as Christians to show that level of reverence to go into God. So when you go into prayer, you know what does it say in the Word? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Fear and trembling. Why? 
Because we serve a holy God. And if you're unholy and you're serving a holy God, you could come under the wrath of God. Because the high priest didn't doubt just because I'm an Israelite, just because I'm the high priest, just because I've ceremonially prepared, doesn't mean he's not going to strike me dead. I have to have the right heart, the right attitude. I've got to come in before him humbly. Amen. But he's calling his people to be a holy people, a royal priesthood, a people belonging to God. He's calling his people in, saying, come in, come to me, but be a people prepared. Be a people of discipline. Be a people that love me. Be a people that serve me. Be a people that read my word and pray, and they cleanse themselves of all filth, and they turn away from all sin. He's saying, be that people. And he's saying it to me as much as he's saying it to you. He's saying, clean your life up and live holy lives. Amen? Does it keep coming back to this? In, in the sermons recently, the last probably year, it's been heavily centred on holiness. We've got to ask ourselves, why is God centering on holiness? Why is it just that you're under grace and you don't have to worry about a thing? And the reason is, and I keep telling you this all over and over again, I don't see that in Scripture. God look, is looking for a holy people, a royal priesthood. And that's what he wants. And it's not, uh, I might be a holy person, but if I'm not a holy person, if I'm not part of the royal priesthood, and if I'm, I'm you know, if I, I sort of will be a people belonging to God, be that. I'll just belong to him. Do you know, I don't think there's any second place. There's no second kind of Christian. There's either a people that are holy and devoted and consecrated and sanctified in Him. Well, there's nothing. I'm, I'm truly, that's why I believe Judgment Day is going to be the most shocking day we're ever going to experience because we're going to be in shock at people who are going to just assume because they've made some altar confession that they're saved. We're going to be shocked. So Colossians chapter 1. Verse 28. And it says this. It says, We proclaim Him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone... What's the next word? Say it with me. Perfect. Perfect. And then this version says, To this end I labour, struggling with all His energy, which so powerfully works in me. Now what is Paul saying here to the Colossians? To this end I labour... To this end, he's laboring, he's struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in him. I am, and I can say with Paul, I'm, to this end I labor, struggling with all my energy, that I may present you, everyone here, perfect in Christ. That I may present you perfect in Christ. Does that mean you won't sin? Let me, let me help you understand the word perfect. Um, and I've used this analogy once before, but I think I'll make it even clearer right now. Um, I, teach, I teach music at home, and I have students at various levels. And each student has a level of perfection that I can get them to. But the way one student will play a piece perfect when they're a beginner is very different to another one who's intermediate and plays it perfectly, and to another one who's advanced who plays it perfectly. You know, there's a really famous piece, and I'll, I'll mention this piece because everyone knows it, it's called Fur Elise. Yep. Everyone knows if you don't know it. Alright, 
I'll use this as an example. When a, a, an absolute beginner starts playing, is that getting me here? Or? Kind of, I'll leave it like that. So when a beginner, absolute beginner starts playing, they come in, and, and this is perfect for a, 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 a pianist of one year. So that would be perfect. I'll be going, awesome. That is amazing because you, you just did it absolutely perfect. But if a five-year pianist played that, I wouldn't be happy. I'd want them to play more like this. You know what I mean? Right, so you want it even more. And then there's a, a concert pianist. If a concert pianist sat down and played like that, you wouldn't be happy. You'd be thinking, that's not good enough for a concert pianist. Because his level of perfection is higher again. So he, you'd be expecting, now this is going to be hard. Because I'm not a concert pianist. connection yeah. even though I made a bit of a stuff up. <laughs> um, do you get my drift? Now I didn't do that to show off. I, I did that and it's not a show off. It's a very simple piece of music. You can get a pianist of one year playing it, you can get a pianist of 20 years playing it and the piece will hold up and it's good enough to be played by either. That's the beauty of that piece. But um, the perfection thing I'm talking about is could you tell the different levels of perfection? The beginner at one year, didn't he sound perfect? But then you hear the five-year, that's a different level. And it's like that in our Christian life. We have different levels of perfection. When you're a younger Christian, you know, there's levels of perfection which aren't absolutely perfect, but they're perfect for that level. Does that make sense? So when he uses the word perfect, we've got to understand it from that context. He's not talking about perfectionism, which means we simply got to be Christ in the sense of absolute sinlessness. Right? You'd have to walk as Christ walked and to be judged according to him. And if you don't hold up to his standard, you're condemned. That's perfectionism. Would anyone stand up compared to Christ? None of us would get through. The Bible does say if it's difficult for the righteous to be saved, what for the ungodly and the sinner? But um, when it says, you know, we're not supposed to expect that we, we have to be exactly like Christ with sinless perfection or we're condemned. That's not what I'm talking about. But we do aim and strive to be as perfect in Christ as we can be. Amen? Now, if your Christianity doesn't consist of that, if you don't consider that a thought, then you've got to consider your Christianity because that is what Paul laboured and struggled earnestly for. And that's what I struggle earnestly for and... and do you think it's worth struggling for? You know, I could teach about a lot of subjects because I actually plan to do a, a, a um, theological study on the attributes of God, and I wanted to go through all the attributes of God. I thought, shall I do start that this weekend? And I, I prayed about it, and I felt God not leading me to do that this weekend. And we've got a revelation study which we put on the back burner for about a year and a half. And I wanted to get back into that as well. And I'm saying to God, do you want me to get back to studying revelation and prophecy? And do you want me to get back to studying the attributes of God? And, and Well, I'm not getting back to it. I'm actually studying it currently. 
um, do you want me to do these things? And I just really felt, God said, I haven't finished dealing with my people yet. You know? And there was, there's quite a few that I wish were here today to hear this message because I feel that uh, Satan is wanting to keep people away from hearing certain messages. Yes. Amen. Yes. Alright, Colossians 2.8. Let's have a look there. Everyone, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. So see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. What do you think that is? Hollow and deceptive philosophy. New agey New age stuff. It could be just worldly wisdom, worldly philosophy. Is there a lot of worldly philosophy out there that we're getting pushed? It's getting pushed on us continuously. It, we're always struggling with that sort of stuff because what happens is when you read the word and when you hear maybe you hear me speak on the weekend and then it, it conflicts with everything you hear through the week so what a lot of churches are doing and this is where it gets really scary is a lot of churches are changing their philosophies to suit the world so people come in and it sounds sort of like what they're used to hearing and then they think well great i like this stuff i want to keep coming here because i keep hearing it's going to blend in with my whole life and my ambitions for myself to do the things that I want to do. It blends in with that. You know, as I was talking last week, as, as we leave, we're, um, you know, walking out of the church going, what a wonderful person I am. What a terrific person I am. Is that the sort of thing you should hold in your mind? Look, I'm not trying to tell you you're a bunch of dirty, rotten sinners either. <laughs> but we, we don't want to leave being amazed at ourselves. We don't want to leave thinking we're incredible. We want to leave thinking, who's incredible? Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Father. That's what it's all about. We don't come to church for self. We come to church to give up self. We come to church to lay it all at the cross and say, all to you. Amen. That's what church is for. And so that's where I'm trying to get you guys to, to, to come in line with is God's got to be first. But we're going to hear philosophy that's going to conflict with everything we hear in the world. You know, I, I know a lot of people that don't believe in Jesus and, and they, they live by worldly philosophy. And I listen to them talk and I just think in my mind, this is so conflicting. It's just like polar opposites to everything that's in here. Who knows what I'm talking about? Yeah? There's some stuff that sort of aligns up. But when it comes down to these death on the cross stuff, laying your life down, you know, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. These are the words of life. Even though it sounds like death, it's death to the sin nature and life in Christ. Now, these are the words that give us life. The, the, anything else outside of that is not going to give us life. Amen? Who, who wants Christ to really move in their life right now? Who wants God to really do something significantly change the kind of person that you are who wants to live a life completely aligned with Christ yes, amen? amen you all wouldn't be here I don't think unless that's the truth well it all comes down to it all comes down to death sounds a bit morbid doesn't it I've been let's say it together I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live but Christ lives in me the life I live in the body I live by Faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You know, it's very poetic. 
you know, you probably think, wow, that's pretty amazing. But can we actually apply that? You know, Charles Finney went into a certain town when he was first, he first, he got saved and then he had a, um, an encounter with uh, the, like the heads of the church when he was sort of getting commissioned to go out and, and preach in a certain town. And uh, he'd been a Christian for a while, and in that short time, he'd already seen just how far the church was from Scripture. And I find that amazing, because it's a few hundred years ago, and people were generally a lot closer to the truth than what churches are today. Yet he found that they had already strayed very, very far from the truth. But he, he managed to um, fall in line with what they expected of him to at least get an appointment in another church. He went to this other church, and he preached there. Um, and he, he preached about three times. And they would all congratulate him because he's a, he was a very powerful preacher. So he'd walk off the pulpit and everyone would congratulate him. And they were accepting what he had to say. But one day, um, I think it was on his fourth sermon, he stood up and he says, I am not happy with your, you, you're accepting my, the gospel. You believe what I'm saying, but you're not letting it change who you are inside and therefore you're not changed you're not a transformed people and he said unless something changes here I'm never going to preach here again and he walked up from the pulpit and the people were in shock because here's a town of people who were just like he'd only preached here three times we all love his ministry and he's put the hard word on us I'm not doing that by the way <laughs> Anyway, he went away and uh, a certain elder in the church came up and said, Charles, um, you've got them. But everyone got up in a huff. Everyone was angry, upset. They walked out. How dare this new minister speak to us like this? They walked out. They stormed out. They were upset. No kidding. They were going to you know, strangle him. There was, there was concern that there would be a riot breakout against Charles Finney. But do you know what he did? He and this elder went away into the woods and they prayed all afternoon. Because he told him he was going to come back that evening. And he prayed and he prayed and he prayed. The whole afternoon he prayed. And then he, he said, I've got a great opening, uh, like an expanse or something opened up. He could see it. God had given him victory over the situation. And he came back into the pulpit and he stood behind the pulpit. And he, uh, it didn't say what he started to preach, but he started to preach. He came down heavy with God's power, by God's power. Anyway, in that very meeting... The whole church fell on their face, basically. Everyone was sobbing and, and there was a huge move of God. The Spirit of God just came down over that meeting. And a revival broke out that lasted months and months and months and spread to every single town. And it all came through the bold preaching of this man who was not happy with getting a pat on the back after he ministered. He saw revival. He saw a breakthrough. He, he wanted to see people turning to Christ with all their heart. Anyway, consequently... 100,000 people were saved in the course of his ministry in that first year. It spread right through the whole area. Because he, he, he took the Spirit's leading. And he prayed, and he prayed, and he prayed. And that's something that I admire in a man of God, if you can pray. Amen. Who knows the hardest times in your life can be when you give up praying? Yeah? Anyone had that experience? Who knows that? The hardest times in your life can be when you pray all the time. Yeah? But does that mean we stop praying just so the Satan get off your back? You know, I won't pray anymore. All right, Satan, got the message. No, we've got to pray. Yeah? 
I'm going to go through 1 Thessalonians. So let's go to the next book along. So we're in Colossians. Just go one book forward into Thessalonians. Everyone there? And it says, May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else just as ours does for you. So do you get that? May the Lord, may the Lord make our love increase and overflow. He wasn't just saying this to the Thessalonians. He was saying this to the whole church for the forever for eternity. May our love overflow for, for each other. Does the church need love? Yes. yes. Does the church need to really increase in love? Actually, Jesus says a new command I give you. It's not even an option. It's not even shallow love. It's commandment. A new command I give you, love each other. As, and get this, as I've loved you. So love like God loves you. That's how we're commanded, to love. Is that a hard call? Yeah, sometimes. Sometimes it can be unlovable people in church. And you just got to love them. And that's, it's, I'm saying this to me as, as much as I'm saying to everyone. We've got to love each other. Now that can change a lot of things, can't it? Because God can move in a loving church. Drop your hand if you love each other. Yeah? Yeah, good, good. <laughs> and it's actually a command to the church. So to the church to love each other in the church. It's actually not commanded that we love everyone in the world. But it's command to love each other. Love the brothers, love the sisters, look out for them. And love like love like a mother loves a child. That's a high level of love, isn't it? For us to love each other like we do our children. Yeah? And again, it's a, it's a command. It's not an option. It's not, I'll try to do that. Just do it. Just choose. I'll do it. You're not going to see everybody in a very different light from now on. I'm just going to love them. I'm just going to love them. And that's the way it is. 1 Thessalonians 3.13. So if we can go there and it says, May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. So who's he coming with? The holy ones. He's coming with holy ones. The angels and all those that have died in Christ, they're the ones that are coming. And he asks... May he strengthen you. Ask God to strengthen us. So he's saying us to, as a church, may he strengthen your hearts so that you'll be blameless. What does that mean? Does that mean when you first gave your life to Jesus and Jesus washes away all your sin and you're renewed and you're consecrated in him from that moment, does that mean you're blameless for the rest of your life? No, you're blameless at that moment. So if God took you at that moment, you're blameless. But what do you got to do when you go away and make yourself filthy again? What do you got to do? Repent. Yeah, you got to repent. You know, do you take one shower and that's it? You're clean for life? Imagine that. You know, you're washing the baby when the baby's first born. You're washing and saying, now, this is your only wash you're getting. This is it. <laughs> this is going to have to last you your whole life. Is that what you do? You keep getting back in the shower, don't you? Where's a, well, I'm not going to ask that. <laughs> I think you knew the question. You know, daily shower, yeah, daily shower. And some some parts of the world, you don't have a daily shower. <laughs> but we don't go to those parts, do we? No, there's a, an important part of daily laying your life before Christ, coming back to Christ on a daily basis and saying, Lord, 
please help me to get into you today. Help me to live for you today. Clothe me with your Holy Spirit today. Wash me, cleanse me, purify me today. Yes. Yeah? yeah? Every day? Who does that every day? Yeah, keep coming back to Him and saying, clean me today. So go out in the day clean by the Spirit of God. Because, you know, you wouldn't go out in the day if you haven't washed, if you've got a job and, you know, you're in an office or something. You don't go to that job without, you know, washing them usually beforehand. That's the culture in Australia, isn't it? We tend to do that. Same from a spiritual perspective as well. So he says, for what is... No, up here, sorry. May he strengthen your heart so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence. Holy in the presence. What's that? Present tense. In the presence of God. So right now, you are in the presence of God. Make sure right now that your heart is blameless before him that you're holy in him now if you're if you're not start just praying lord clean up my life right now because i'm in your presence right now remember we talked about going into the most holy place you don't try to go in there if you've got sin in your life stuff that's affecting you stuff that's pulling you back to do it make sure you go into the presence of god with clean hearts and pure minds amen yes. 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 to 8. And it says, Finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live in order to please God. Say that with me. Please God. So he instructed them on how to live in order to please God. As in fact you are living. So he's assuming, as in fact you are living. I'm actually, in, in most respects, I'm assuming, as in fact you are living. But I'm encouraging you all the more, all the more, amen, so that we can mature in Christ. And maturity in Christ means that we can live a more perfect life in Him. Just like those mature piano players can live a more or play at a more perfect level than their previous perfection. You know, it would be strange to hear a pianist of 20 years still playing for release like the one that's played after one year. You'd be expecting a little bit more emotional connection, you know, you'd be expecting something there. And it's the same in us. If you say, you know, you meet someone and how long have you been a Christian? Oh, 30 years. And how's it going? Yeah, I suffer from depression. I um, just can't beat the sins that, I've, that have always held me bound. I'm struggling. My life is a mess. You know, I just can't get it together. You know, I'm, you know you'd be like, I can't, as a pastor, and I hear that. And I'm, as a pastor, I'm like, whoa, where do I begin here? You've been 30 years a Christian. You've heard it all. Where do I go from here? What can I say to you out of the word that hasn't already been said to you? And all I can say is check that you have the Holy Spirit. Check that the Holy Spirit is working in you. Check that the Holy Spirit is active in your life. That He's He's dealing with you. You know? I, I hear Christians, and these are mature Christians. Um, I've had a few saying, oh, when I come out of your church, I feel condemned. And, I, and I've said this before. Is condemnation the right word? No. What's the true word? Conviction. Christians should feel conviction. We don't use the word condemned. Condemned is for unbelievers. And you know what condemnation does to unbelievers? Brings them to repentance. So sometimes you've got to ask, well, if you're feeling condemnation, are you a Christian? Are you even a Christian? Because you're sounding like the language of an unbeliever. That a man of God would step up and preach the word just as Paul preached it in the scriptures and you feel condemned? 
Well, maybe you need to repent and give your life to Christ. Amen. Do you know, Vina and I, we've been in, we've been into different meetings uh, many years ago. I remember going into meetings and a minister would preach a really powerful, fiery message. And you know what? When you, you'd do an altar call, I'd come to the front. And he'd be doing an altar call for, who's ever done that? You know, getting an altar call for to give your heart to Jesus. And I'm out the front, I'm giving my heart to Jesus because I feel so filthy I have to start again. Anyone had that experience? Yeah, that you have to go and give your life to Jesus afresh. You know, because we, we're on this journey. This journey is, is, is up and down. It's like this. And if we're not constantly awake and aware, we could be suffering from things that we shouldn't have to suffer from. You know, Satan could be just speaking into your mind continuously and making you believe certain things in certain ways and could be really, really damaging your Christianity to the point where you may not even reflect Christianity anymore. And that's the sort of thing that we need to deal with. And I'm only saying this, and, and I'm saying it from by the Spirit, and I'm saying this because this is the problem at the moment in the church. You know? I've met Christians, and while they, they, you know, quite a few different ones, and they're talking to me. And guess what they're talking? They're talking to me intoxicated on, on alcohol. They're drunk. They're slurring at the mouth. They can barely speak to me, and they're trying to talk to me about Jesus Christ. And I'm like, this is not the time nor the place. I really don't want to hear your views on Christianity right now. You're drunk as a skunk. You know, you've been a Christian for 20 years, you're drunk as a skunk. What are you doing talking to me about Jesus? This is an insult. This is an insult to him. Yes. To the Lord. Amen. Yes. So make sure you don't fall into these categories. Make sure that that's not the Christian that you are. Amen. Yes. And I'm not looking at anybody because I'm trying not to think anything of anyone of, of you because I don't think anything of any one of you. I don't know your own private lives. So know that. So if it's speaking to you, if this is speaking to you in any way, it could be small things, could be big things, um, let, let it be said that it's God that's speaking to you right now. Not me, not me. I'm just a vessel. Amen. If I wasn't truly speaking under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, I tell you, I wouldn't even bother getting up here. If the Holy Spirit didn't use me as, a, as an instrument, I would not preach because I'd be doing it in my own strength. I'll tell you how I felt. Who wants to know how I felt this morning about preaching? Anyone interested to know what a, a minister felt like this morning? I got up in the morning because I've had a, a terrible headache for the last yesterday. Because I'll, I'll tell you, everyone, I'm giving up coffee. All right. So, I, I got over overkill on the coffee, and just way too much to the point where you know it wrecks your adrenal gland. It does a whole range of damage to you. And, you know, in moderation, fine, but I can't do it in moderation. You know, um, and so I was up to eight cups a day, right? And this is um, espresso, right? Uh, Muggachinos, right? And uh, so it's only because of the nature of what I do a lot of the time is, is, you know, reading and writing and, and doing all those sorts of things. And because of that, you tend to like you get a bit drowsy, get another one, and you don't even count them. It just happens. So I've given up. So I got this rotten headache yesterday which left me uh, incapacitated in bed for a lot of the morning, which is why I couldn't meet you guys. I didn't want to give a reason because I was laying there and sending a message to Ben saying I can't make it and just can't do it. <laughs> That's all I said because I just couldn't muster it anymore. 
description of why. I just want to give you a reason. And um, so I woke up and I did, I did a bit of work on my sermon, um, but my head was so cloudy, I couldn't think. I'm going, God, if I preach feeling like this tomorrow, I don't think I'll get string two words together that make sense because I can't think. I, I, was a, I wanted to do a sermon called The Will of God or Knowing the Will of God or How to Know the Will of God, which I thought would be a really beneficial sermon, but it just was not coming together. So I get up this morning and um, I knew I wasn't going to preach that sermon, which I did a little bit of work on. I was going to be preaching from one of these. And normally I read through all of the... I've got three sermons on the desktop. I normally read through every scripture, read over them, and pray over every last thing that I'm going to speak on so that I'm, I'm ahead with it. But I had no energy to do it. And I'm going, God, I just can't preach that. i just got nothing. I don't know what to preach on. And... I just, I just felt at that moment, I just felt God said, don't worry, I'll carry you today. Yeah. In this week, we had a meeting on Tuesday with some other people. Say that again? I said, in the week, I was having a meeting with some other people. We were talking about exactly the same things. It's from Peter and from John. One, one to Peter, one John. Love, I be mature. I'm just realizing the key to one of these things about why people don't get over this. I'm just like keeping thought that you can say, but your sins are gone. But not this. When you actually fall back into it, yeah. you've got to go back and repent and ask forgiveness. Mm. And that's a humbling experience. You've got to go mm. to Christ. Mm. People don't do it. They don't get taught to do it. Well, they got, the, they got a misunderstanding easy. of what repentance is. It's mm. not. Repentance isn't a one time act. You've got to keep. It says the word says to keep with repentance. Mm. So if you've said, okay, I'm not going to take drugs anymore. And then you travel down the road and then six months later you're taking drugs again, but then you're going, oh, I'm under grace, I'm fine. That's not keeping with repentance, is it? So you need to re-repent. You need to repent again because you've just fallen back into the very thing you promised God you weren't going to do anymore because repentance is a change of life. Yes. Rob, the reason uh, that happens is because we're under constant attack from Satan. Absolutely. And that's, that, that's the reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He loves pulling Christians into sin. You know, he wants us, he, he doesn't want us to succeed. We've got to re- remember that, that Satan's not fighting against Islam. Satan's not fighting against Hinduism. He's not fighting against Jehovah Witnesses. He's not fighting against any of those things. He's fighting against the followers of Jesus. He's following uh, the people that confess faith in Christ. That's who Satan wants to pull down. And he'll keep every one of us from doing what we should be doing. And he'll he'll speak to us, you know, there's nothing wrong with it. You know, it's it's pretty well everybody does it. So why why are you worried about it? Don't worry about it. You know, Jesus is a merciful God. He'll forgive you. You know, as as have you heard that those words in your head? Right? He is a merciful God. But he's a mercy. He shows mercy to the repentant. He shows mercy to those that lay it all down. Yes. Lay it down. We take the sins of our past and we put them at the foot of the cross. And we, or in a sense, we should nail them at, at the cross. And we leave them there. Now, what we're doing a lot of the time, and I'm not saying anyone in particular, but we, we go back there and we pick them up again. Mm. I used to enjoy you. I'll just, I'll, I'll just use you for a little bit longer and I'll get a bit more pleasure. Because usually they're pleasure-based, the things that pull us back into a pleasure-based. Yes. So we, we take sins and then a bit of conviction comes and we go and we back on the cross again. Then we 
walk away and then six months later, go back and get it again. Do you know what I mean? Go back and forth, back and forth. That's not Christianity. It's keeping with repentance, keeping on the right path continuously. Amen? Finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live in order to please God as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. To do it more and more. So he's urging you how to live. Why would Paul have to teach Christians how to live? Now these Christians have the Holy Spirit. Why does he have to teach them how to live? Because the Christians keep slipping. Or the Christians stop listening to the Holy Spirit. And Paul's going to—he's—he's he's, like they, they can get confused. Like, do we get confused about the Holy Spirit? We can believe in Jesus, but do we get confused? Yeah. yeah. So what do we do? We use the Bible to straighten up, straighten up those confusing issues in our life. So it is God's will that you should read those words with me. Let's read them out loud. So it is God's will that you should be holy, be sanctified. Same thing, holiness, sanctified. It's God's will. Who wants to do God's will? Yes, I know. Yeah, who wants to do it? So what, what does it say to do? You should be sanctified, be holy. It's God's will that you should be holy, that you should avoid what? Sexual immorality, which comes from the word, I don't know how to say it in Greek, but it means pornography, or where we get the word pornography. Avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is what? Holy and honourable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God. And that is, and that in this matter, no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. So we shouldn't rip each other off. The Lord will what? Punish men for all such sins as we have already told you and warned you. So he's saying to the Thessalonians, we warn you that if you do these things, the Lord will punish you. He's saying that to Christians. This is a warning. This is not to the ungodly. This is to the godly or the supposed to be godly people. This is to Christians. He's warning them. Don't get involved in that. And then it says this. Therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God who gives you his Holy Spirit. I want to dwell on that a bit. He, therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject man. You know, if you go home and say, you know, that rock guy, I can't stand it because he preaches on holiness all the time. He's always coming against sin. He's always preaching against sin. He's always telling us that we should live a holy life. I don't like being told that all the time. You know, I want to be able to live my life under grace without that constant pressure. Right? If that's what's happening, you're not rejecting me. You're not rejecting me. You know, in a sense... I would rather preach it and people go, you know what, I can't stand you preaching that and walk away because I'd, I'd rather that than be held accountable for not preaching it. Amen? Because you're not rejecting me, you'd be rejecting God. Because God's saying it. I'm just bringing it up. And the reason I'm bringing it up so regularly is because of one thing. Most of the church does not preach this in the West. A good 90%. And I only know these figures because I, I've done a lot of research into how many churches actually preach about holiness. 90% do not mention that at all. They don't want to come down and bring, make people feel sort of bad. You know, they, they, they will turn that I'm probably making, you know, if I'm preaching this, that I'm making people feel bad. But 90% of the church. And so what's happened is people that have come out of these churches 
And how many of you have come out of other churches where they're not preaching on holiness? Put up your hand if you've come out of a church that doesn't preach on holiness, doesn't preach on repentance, doesn't preach on hell. To me, they're the most important doctrines of the faith. The most critical, and they're not preached on anymore. So we've got a different gospel. They're, they're, they're preaching a different gospel, a gospel other than what Paul preached. What's going to happen to people that preach a gospel other than what Paul preached? They will be eternally condemned. Galatians 1.8 If you preach a gospel other than what we preach to you, let it be eternally condemned. So people are out there preaching another gospel, another gospel. But if they're not preaching holiness, if the church is getting holy, I'm not saying there's not holy people in those churches. Because a lot of Christians in those churches will have the inner conviction of the Holy Spirit not to do those things. But there's a lot that don't as well. And so, but you don't want to be just counting on that. You want to hear it, you know, as much as the Holy Spirit's willing to preach it. And so I came and, you know, my heart when I was praying in there was to just preach on prayer today get you all motivated with prayer come out here and I start speaking and then I realise no, no, no God doesn't want me to preach on prayer right now He wants me to preach the same message that I've been preaching but coming from a different angle you know like a facet uh, you get a diamond Bill Bill works with jewellery and stuff Bill how many edges does a diamond have like a 32 <laughs> could be more than 32 or could be less lots of different facets but you all these cuts right they're all different angles that you can view the diamond from and this is with a doctrine like this you've got to come from different angles because I might preach on this for six months and you don't it doesn't do anything and then all of a sudden I preach one sermon on it and the penny drops and it's like aha I've got it and then you go home and stuff starts to change in your life. And so I've got to keep coming because, and I've got to keep following that prompting of the Holy Spirit. Keep following what the Holy Spirit wants me to speak about because there's a lot of you that need it. And, and according to the Scriptures, there's some heavy, heavy warnings, salvational warnings in Scripture against those that don't live like this. Which means, man, even more threatening. For God did not call us to be impure. This is verse 7. He did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. See, we're called, when we were first called, when we first gave our hearts to Jesus, we were called to a holy life. We weren't called to be impure. Therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God who gives you his Holy Spirit. So, And I'll keep going because the next one is from 11. Oh no, from 5, sorry. Verse 4. Actually, can I go back on 5? Back to verse 1. It says, Now, brothers, about times and dates we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. So he's talking about the second coming of Christ. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So what it's saying is, is talking about the coming of the Lord, and the Lord will come, and we are not to be people surprised by that. And as I've said many times, to, to 
Everyone who's ever been on this planet and has died, the day of the Lord comes the day they die. So the day of the Lord is only a few years beyond any of us. And it doesn't matter what like, the official day he comes, or if, I, if, if someone not in this church dies tomorrow, their day comes, the day of the Lord will be for them then. It'll be straight away. A judgment will be enacted upon them, either a judgment of righteousness which lifts them into the kingdom of heaven, or a judgment of condemnation where they will go into hell awaiting judgment. And that's not purgatory either. It's no such thing as purgatory. It's only heaven or hell. Amen. So always have yourself ready because the day of the Lord could occur at any time. And I'm not talking about um, a pre-tribulation rapture or anything like that. I'm saying the day of the Lord can happen at any time. You know, you imagine you live a Christian life, an impeccable Christian life for 20 years and then for for a, a one whole year, you just live in debauchery. You just give up all that stuff and live this sinful, sinful, sinful life. Terrible, terrible life. And then you're a drug overdosed and you die. Wouldn't that be a pity? That you didn't hold fast. You didn't run the race. You didn't finish the race. You didn't get the crown because you gave up before you got the crown. You know, you pulled out. The finish line was up there, but you went, oh, too tight. I'll pull out. And I'll walk with the crowd. I'll live with the crowd. I'll, you know, live as the crowd calls me to live. And it happens. I want you, a show of hands, who do you know that's ever been in Christ and given up Christ? Do you know anyone who's been in Christ and then given up Christ? Yeah? Honestly, I know plenty you know, I know, and, uh, and for the sake of a few of you that haven't heard me say it, I know one guy who was a, a preacher. He lived for Christ. He he read the scriptures all the time. He I used to pray with him once a week. Um, passionate Christian, gave up the faith. Said I didn't want any part of it. Didn't want any part of it anymore. And uh, I said why? And he goes, well, he he came to the faith believing that he's going to be prosperous. And he said I've been tithing for ten years and. 10 years and I don't have any money in the bank and uh, so he gave up the faith but while he was a Christian he was a Christian seriously he was living living the Christian life he was reading the word he was committed but he just got jaded by his ordeals in, in his private affairs and he gave it up then I met up with him a few years later and he's a tattoo artist and he, he now marks people for a living Draws on them, draws on their skin. And I went for a walk with him and I said, you know what? Jesus is still on the throne, whether you believe it or not. And he goes, whatever makes you happy, mate. And I'm like, how can you have lived such a passionate life and now you don't even want to discuss Jesus? You don't want anything to do with Jesus? You said, if it makes you happy, go on, you know, live it out. He was into that Eckhart Tolle. Who's heard of Eckhart Tolle? Oprah's, you know, guru. Who she pushes. You know, Oprah's got one of the biggest uh, churches in America now, Church of Oprah. And Eckhart Tolle is the little guru that comes and speaks. And he's this little guy with the most warped views on life. And people are following it. And I'm like, what is happening in the world? Oprah, she's a talk show host. What is she doing leading people astray? 
and there's a, a video of Oprah talking about Jesus Christ, and she's she's fighting um, this woman in the crowd who was in the crowd, and she goes, "Well, what about Jesus?" And Oprah goes, "Well, what about him?" Well, there's only one way, and that's through Jesus. This woman said from the crowd, "Who's seen that?" And Oprah goes. Um, no, there can't be one way. There's many ways. There's so many ways in the heaven. And she's going, no, there is only one way. Like the Spirit of God really grabbed this woman in the crowd. You've got to look it up. Oprah rejects Jesus. And this Christian lady just steps up. She didn't care. She was in the studio audience. She went for it. God just put this fire in her belly. She was really good, yeah. Yeah, she was really good. She really hammered Oprah. The panel has been discussing the spirituality and the forces of God. But I also believe that there are two forces that are here with us, that we do have our, our, our God that we can depend on, but there's also a power of darkness that we do need to be aware of. And, and that's you, where the choice is. Do you begin. believe that, uh, that you can choose between one or the other? Most, most absolute definitely. Yeah. Now, now Marianne uh, Williamson says in her book, Return to Love, that we're always walking in the direction of one or the other, that all of your actions in life, either you're moving toward the darkness or you're moving toward the light. Right. She calls it fear and love. There's this wonderful book called Ishmael by Daniel Quinn, which talks, it, which, which is, anyway, it's a gorilla talking, but anyway, uh, it talks about one of the points it brings out is one of the mistakes that human beings make is believing that there is only one way to live That's and right. that we don't accept that there are diverse ways of being in the world that there are millions of ways to be a then human being and, and many ways no but many paths many to what you call god that and her crazy. path might be something else and when she gets there she might call it the light but her loving and her kindness and her generosity brings her, if it brings her to the same point that it brings you, it doesn't matter whether she called it God along the way or not. And I guess the danger that could be in that, I mean, it, it sounds great on the onset, but if you really look at both sides, I there could couldn't possibly be just one way. What, what about Jesus? What about Jesus? There is one way, and only one way, and there that is through Jesus. Jesus. There couldn't possibly be with because a million you of people say in the world. Isn't. There couldn't possibly be. Because you say, you intellectualize it and say there isn't. If no. you don't believe that, you're all buying into the lie. But that makes you right. Do you, right. you think, do you think that if you, if you are somewhere on the planet, where are you some, if you're somewhere on the planet and you never hear the name of Jesus, you never hear the name of Jesus, but yet you live with a loving heart, you lived as Jesus would have had you to live, you lived for the same purpose that Jesus came to the planet to teach us all, but you are in some remote part of the earth and you never heard the name of Jesus. You cannot get to heaven, you think? And that is covered in the scriptures, too. People are talked about that. God knows the heart. Does God care about your heart or God care about if you call his son Jesus? Well, you know... Oprah, God, Jesus cannot come back until that gospel is preached in the four corners of this earth. So, you know, figure it out. Okay, okay, I can't get into a religious argument with you. It's not religion. This is what happens. The human philosophy is chasing after that, going after that. And do you know how many people in the Church of Oprah are Christian that haven't got enough discernment to see that they're getting led away in a New Age cult? A massive New Age cult. And you know what they do? They all get together, they have these massive rallies. And they call them a trance, a mass trance. They all go and get into a mass trance together. Yeah, it's, it's wicked. It's wicked. Okay, 1 Thessalonians 4 to 11. But you brothers are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. 
We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. So Christians that are getting drunk, don't get drunk. It's not right. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate, and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not, not appoint us to suffer wrath. He didn't appoint us. So don't get under wrath. He didn't appoint you to suffer wrath. But to receive salvation. So he's warning them. Get away from these things. Stop doing these things because you're not appointed to wrath. If you do these things, you will suffer the wrath of God. Get away from it. Who knows that that scripture has been taken out of context. And that is pull that one scripture out. God has not appointed us to wrath. Oh no, now we're a Christian. We're not going to be under the wrath of God now that you've confessed faith in Christ. Well, it's not saying that. It is true, but it's not saying that in, in, in a general sense. What it's saying is don't live that way and you won't suffer wrath. That's what it's saying. That's pretty obvious, isn't it? If you read it in context. For God did not appoint you to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. And I want to just finish with the last, last bit, 5.14 to 24. And it says this. And we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle... Warn them, if you're idle, and idle just simply means not really walking in Christ, idle, and they're falling into all sorts of sins. Warn, we urge you brothers, warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, encourage them, help the weak, be patient with everyone, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. Then it says be joyful always. So there's a, it's a it's sort of like a command from Paul, just be joyful always. Pray continually. That's a hard one. Anyone ever achieve that? No? It's there. It's there for us to go for that perfection of life, isn't it? Just pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you. That's God's will. See, when I talk about the will of God, I'm going to bring those things up, because that's God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And then it says this, Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything... Hold on to the good and avoid every kind of evil. Avoid every kind of evil. If your heart tells you this is evil, avoid it. And just to finish, may God himself, the God of peace, what's the next word? Sanctify. sanctify. May the God of peace sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. He will do it. He's going to sanctify you. He's going to make you blameless. And which is why I'm getting called to preach on this. Now, that was the book of 1 Thessalonians. Was there a few references to holiness in that book? And were they wrapped around the wrath of God, salvational loss kind of scriptures? Things that say, if you keep on doing this, I warn you. Does it say those sorts of things? Is that just one book out of how many in the Bible? Well, it's actually every book in the Bible speaks of it in the New Testament. Every book. I've gone through every book previous to that. I've gone through Colossians, Philippians, Ephesians, Galatians, 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, Romans, 
Um, haven't done the book of Acts yet, but I have, I've already got all the scriptures that relate to it. We've also gone from 1 Peter to 2 Peter to 1 to 3 John and Jude as well. And they all have just jam-packed full of scriptures that relate to this doctrine. So I'm not teaching a doctrine foreign to true Christianity. I'm teaching a doctrine foreign to modern Christianity. Everyone see that? Yeah. And um, I, I just hope that you guys can see the importance of it because I, I think, personally, it's the most important thing that I could preach on. Who agrees? Yeah. Like, if I'm not preaching on it, and I said this last week, if I don't preach on it and you're not hearing it, is there a good chance that you can slip? Yeah, of course. Yeah? So we need to, we need to keep on top of this. And it was funny because I was going to preach from um, the book of James. You know how we're going verse by verse through the book of James. And the book of James was also right at a point where it was talking about dealing with the sin nature. And uh, I was potentially going to go through that, but I thought this one had more references in the direction that I felt the Spirit wanted us to go today. Who feels that you, you've got to deal with some stuff? Yeah? Is this stuff that you've got to deal with in your life? Yeah? If you're relatively new to the Christianity, there's got to be heaps of stuff. I know in myself I've got a lot to deal with. Yeah? My wife probably doesn't have much. No. No. no, no. Sure Nothing at all. <laughs> She's perfect. You've got to deal with you. Yeah, yeah, that's you just got to deal with me. No problem. All right, guys, let's pray, shall we? Holy Spirit, I just ask that you come now upon every single one of us, Lord. And uh, Lord, I just felt led to speak on what I've spoken on. And uh, and Lord, I know that in the back of my mind, I'm hearing the Holy Spirit say, "Stop, stop apologizing." And um, but Lord, I, I know that the uh, thrust of the teaching today is so in conflict with this doctrine that it sounds foreign when you hear it. And so, Lord, I'm praying for eyes to be opened, ears to be unplugged, that their hearts will be warmed, that you will start to uh, take draw your people out of darkness into light, and those in light will go into an even brighter light. I pray for maturity in every single one of us here, that we'll just go on from strength to strength and mature as Christians. And Lord, that we will be in a better place in a year's time, not in a worse place. That we'll be able to deal better with life's uh, problems and issues. And we'll be able to deal better with the things that keep propping up in our life that causes us to sin. And help us, Lord, to deal with them by the power of the Spirit, I pray. And so I ask the Lord that you will um, just be with each and every one of us here today and um, carry us through this week in a wonderful uh, way, Lord, that um, you will just keep on opening up to us the truth in relation to what, what we're speaking about. And um, I also pray for all those that aren't here today, that you would be with them and work in their lives and help them to come into a knowledge of the truth in relation to these things. And Lord, just I just pray that you would start to moving us in revival power, that you'll start to stir us by the Spirit of God to really take a hold of the faith, that you'll renew our interest in our faith and that you'll, you'll get our hearts burning, that there'll be a flame that will start to burn inside of us to live the Christian life the right way and, and serve you with everything within our being. And I pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus. In your mighty name, and I just pray your blessing now.
over this time and just bless our fellowship time as we uh, as we have coffees and teas together. And well, I won't have coffee, but um, <laughs> water and everything else. <laughs> Lord, just be with us now, and I pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.